This podcast is part of the Power of Podcasting Network. Find it at powerofpodcasting.com. Today on episode number 664 of The School of Podcasting, it's one of the best books on podcasting I've read in a long time. It's called Big Podcast, Grow Your Podcast Audience, Build Listener Loyalty, and Get Everybody Talking About Your Show. And today we've got the author, David Hooper. Hit it, ladies. The School of Podcasting with Dave Jackson. Podcasting since 2005. I'm your award-winning Hall of Fame podcast coach, Dave Jackson, thanking you so very much for tuning in. This is where I help you massage your message. I help you tackle that technology, face your fears, and flatten that learning curve and get you going in the right direction when you start your podcast. My website is schoolofpodcasting.com. Use the coupon code LISTENER when you sign up for either a monthly or yearly subscription, or if you want, buy the courses a la carte. In just a few minutes, you're going to hear me talk to David Hooper. He's got a background in radio. And speaking of radio, I'm actually recording two episodes today because next weekend, I'm going to be at the NAB show. And if you have a passion for podcasting, you should attend the NAB show April 8th through the 11th, 2019 to meet, collaborate, and strategize with the world's most renowned storytellers, learn how to grow audiences and revenue, create captivating content, and meet with those who can take your vision to new heights. Register today at nabshow.com with the coupon code VEGAS for a free exhibit pass, your story will never be the same. And thank you, NAB Show, for sponsoring the School of Podcasting. But I will actually be there at the Libsyn booth. If you want to stop by and say howdy, I would be glad to meet you. Today, we're jumping into the deep end of the pool. I spoke with David Hooper for about an hour and a half, and I've edited it down quite a bit. And with that, I'm just going to say, here's a guy with a great marketing background. He's worked in the entertainment business. He's had a radio show. He It's called Music Business Radio. He's had that. One of my favorite shows, Red Podcast, and of course, Big Podcast. I'll have links to all this out at schoolofpodcasting.com slash 644. Here is my conversation with David Hooper. Well, the one thing I want to ask because you have done so many interviews. So, so, yeah. uh, and, um, um, uh, you know, podcasters. Yeah, absolutely. That would be, what is a stamp? I'm trying, I was sitting there thinking, what is a stamp these days? Yeah. And where do you find a mailbox? <laughs> right. I mean, that's a whole nother thing. Once you lick them, you're in trouble. <laughs> that's it. What? Okay. I realize this only works for one day, but as I release this, it's April fool's day. So that's my little tee hee hee. April Fool's joke. Let's try that again, shall we? All right. Well, joining me, I've known this man for going on probably 13 years, something like that. When I drove to Nashville, Tennessee to be on his podcast, I was familiar with his books for music marketing. I was like, wow, this guy really knows his stuff. Then he started a podcast, which was part of his radio show. And now he has, it's not only a book, it's a weapon. It is uh 400. And he said, turning to the back here, 62 pages. It's called Big Podcast. Grow your podcast audience, build listener loyalty, and get everybody talking about your show. David Hooper, thanks for coming on the show, buddy. 
I'm glad to be here. I'm very excited. And I've heard you have some discrepancies in opinion. <laughs> yeah, we will. And we're going to talk about those, I hope. <laughs> we are going to. There are two things. I, I will say this. I am in chapter 15. How many chapters are in this thing? About 50. Yeah, it's because I know I'm on the Kindle and it's like, I'm like just busting through the chapters and it's like, you still have another hour and a half of reading to do. And I'm like, wow. Okay. And I will say this, that aside from, from two little things that we'll talk about a little later, everything in here, I'm like, wow, if I were to write a book about how to start a podcast, you pretty much nailed it. It really is. There's some really just nuggets of stuff that I'm just like, oh, wow, this is cool. And this is exactly how I would say that. And I love the way you start your chapters because usually there's a story and then you end the chapter with like this nice little summary of like, here's everything you just learned and it's a quick, easy read. And uh, so, so good on you, buddy, on the book. I don't want to go into this story, <laughs> but you and I recently went on a trip that proved you are a very curious person. Have you always been that curious and where did that come from? I am a very curious person. I studied commercial music when I was in college, but my minor was sociology. Always been interested in how people work and how societies and cultures and groups of people work. And I'm also one of those people that I'm not afraid to ask questions. My mother was a librarian, so there's a lot of research and curiosity and, and, and things that go into being a librarian. Okay, I'm going to jump in here. If you know David Hooper, you're probably like me and you just went, oh, it all makes sense now. And yeah, I, I just was encouraged to ask questions when I was younger and at, at schools that encouraged that. So I, I continue to do it because if something is working for someone or not working for someone, I want to know about it. And that can help me in my life. But also just because I think people are interesting. I think there's so much more depth than we realize when we just run into people on the street. But you've got to allow them to come out with it. They're not going to necessarily just tell you that. You'd be surprised. People are afraid to ask questions and people are afraid to to go there and talk about, let's say, sex or politics or money or the things we're not supposed to talk about. But they're also dying to talk about that. And sometimes it's a big relief because it's an elephant in the room and people are like, oh, and that's, that's one of the things that's so great about podcasting, isn't it? Because you can be listening with your headphones and nobody knows that you're listening to something that you're curious about. And I think because it's audio only when we're doing interviews, that people have a sense of maybe comfort that they wouldn't have on video or that they wouldn't have live because it's just you and me talking in a studio. And then that message gets out. And, and obviously that has uh, mixed consequences. Maybe you, you were a little too relaxed in the studio, but I think that's one of the positives of podcasting. Has there ever been a time when your curiosity got you into something that did not end well? I've been told by publicists not to ask about certain things. And we will have artists, and sometimes these artists live, let's say, interesting lives. And I had a guy coming in, and he had just been arrested. I think he was in a stolen car, and there were drugs involved. But the publicist was, she says, don't ask about the recent arrest. But it came up, and I went with it. He was really cool. Like I said, people are really ready to talk about it. And we didn't tell her that we talked about it. <laughs> she might've found out later. So I, I'm not sure. I, I mean, because I want to respect boundaries. Like I've had situations like that where people will say, I would rather not talk about this. And there's one time that I agreed to that. A woman was in Scientology and she had broken out of Scientology and her parents were still in it. So they said, don't ask about that because Scientology is 
watching her and we don't want it to become a, a rift between the family. And I respected that. But most of the time, if somebody doesn't want to talk about something, I'll say, you know, I'm not interested, especially if it's something that somebody wants to hear. Now, if it's something that it's like, oh, who cares about that? I don't worry about it. But I, I think we should be asking questions. I know one of the cool things about being in Nashville, you have tons of people on tour, probably blowing th- through the city. Do you get to pick who comes on your show or is that just something where it's like, Hey, so-and-so's in town, his agent said this. And because of the radio, you know, maybe politics involved. Do you get to say who comes on your show or do you just have to interview somebody? Cause they're the hot hand and they're in Nashville. Both. I would say, because sometimes like there's a bigger deal, like maybe, you know, you're playing chess. You're thinking if, if we get this guy in, he's on this label, we can get his label mate that we really want. So I think that sometimes that happens, but most of the time we have autonomy. And sometimes I'm going to bring people in because like I had, I had uh, an artist in just a couple of days ago and she came in attached to a producer and the producer's a friend. He'd, he'd been on a couple of times. So I'm like, yeah, we'll take a chance on that. So that was a, a relationship thing, much like any, any podcaster would have. I, I think that if there was something that I felt really strongly about any of us on the, on the team for music business radio said, no, we don't want to help push that agenda. We would, we would say no. And I would respect what the producer said or respected maybe like our engineer is a female engineer. Like if she felt uncomfortable if she's like, I, I don't want to be near that guy, Got you know, maybe we'll find a different engineer. Maybe we won't, but, but I'm going to certainly listen to her. Now, if somebody's bringing in, like you said, like the, it's like a producer bringing in talent. So the talent's going to be involved in the interview. How do you go about making somebody who may not be that interesting? Like, what's your your prep for that? It's funny you mentioned that because this particular situation that I was in a couple of days ago, I had a producer with 30 years of not only experience, but 30 years of hits. He'd worked with Whitney Houston, had worked with Ronnie Millsap, and he brought in a 19-year-old girl, and she's great, but she's two singles into her career. And they release singles now. They didn't release full albums. And, and she's going to release an EP very shortly, but she's still working on that. That's how new she is. So balancing that is is difficult because you've got 30 years of stories from this one guy and he's more my age. So I can connect with him in a different way. And then you've got a, a young girl. She's 19 years old, young woman. And it's like, where do you go? <laughs> so I think that's the adventure of podcasting or the adventure of broadcasting, trying to wrangle everything. You've got you want to do a beginning and the middle and an end and it all fits together in a linear fabric and it makes sense and it's perfect in every way. But it's sometimes not that way. Sometimes we have to stop between breaks when we're supposed to be rolling commercials because we do what we call live to tape. It's not live, but we do have breaks and we have to ask the producer like, uh, where do you want to go? So it's not quite as smooth as maybe it would seem to the outside world. And I, I don't know if you've ever had that experience, Dave, but it's funny. People come up to me and they say, oh man, you're so good on the air. You're so smooth. How, how are you that smooth? And the answer is I've got a woman who edits me, that's it, that's Stephanie. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Well, you are the first person ever I ran into that did a pre-interview because again, this was probably what, 2006 or seven. And it was funny. Cause I remember sitting there and you're like, okay, do you have something about and whatever the topic was? And I would start talking about it. You're like, no, 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 just, I just need to know. Can you talk about that? And getting a podcaster to shut up is yeah. not the easiest thing. And you'd be like, yeah. well, what about this subject? I'm like, oh yeah. Cause the thing, and you're like, no, no, no that's yeah. don't save it for the air. That was the first time I'd ever heard a, a pre-interview. 
And that is something now it's kind of funny. I now I'm hearing more and more people like that's almost like a new thing. Like we should do a pre-interview before we actually have somebody come on. Is that something you would recommend for like, what are the different ways you can do a pre-interview? I guess. Yeah, 100%. I would recommend that. And I think it's worth noting that my podcast was an offshoot of the radio show. We were doing the radio show and I'd seen your podcast called Musicians Cooler. And since my show was about the music business, I was like, you know, we could, we could release this as a podcast. And it's kind of funny because at the time they're like, a podcast, what's that? That's, we're radio. We don't need podcasting. And now we're getting more into podcasting and more people listen to the podcast than the actual radio show. But the pre-interview came from that, just being really prepped because being on the radio, I was in there with an engineer. I'm in there with a producer. In 2005, I didn't have the experience that I have now. So I wanted to prep out everything. And I wanted to know what I was going to ask and have people respond in a way so I wouldn't be caught like with 60 minutes ahead of me and the interview's over <laughs> in one minute in. Right. <laughs> I wasn't that smooth myself at the time. I couldn't carry it by myself. Maybe now. Yeah, the the pre-interview is really important and the different ways that you would do that. I like to do it away from the studio, maybe a week in advance, because what you were talking about was kind of the the sit down pre-interview where we come in with a guest and I'll say, all right, Dave, this is Stephanie. Stephanie's the engineer. She's going to make you sound great so you can relax. You're in good hands with Stephanie. Here's Gary. He's the producer. Stephanie's going to go get the mics ready, set up the system and we're just going to sit here and let's kind of go over this so you know what you're getting into. And I'll let people know what they're getting into because recording, this is something you and I do every day. But for most people, it is very intimidating. And you talk about me being intimidated in 2005 when I'm in a small recording booth that's probably, I don't know, six by six, seven by seven with a bunch of hot equipment and two or three other people and it's getting really hot and you can't run the air conditioner. It's like super intimidating to them. Because I'm the guy that has the authority. I'm asking the questions. They don't know where it's going to go. So I try to let them know what's going to happen so they can relax, give me good answers, and not worry about making mistakes. One of the things that I do, speaking of that, is I make mistakes on purpose at the very, very beginning. I'll flub a name, do something, blah, 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 blah. And, and sometimes it's not on purpose because I still make a lot of mistakes. <laughs> but I'll, I'll always say, okay, so... I, I've proven that I make mistakes. Don't you worry about making mistakes because Stephanie is going to make us sound perfect when this thing gets out. So that's kind of the pre-interview right before the show. But what I was doing with you by like not telling you to say the whole story right away is because I want it to be fresh on tape. And I don't want you to say, like I just said, blah, 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 because that's (laughs) Right. The, the audience isn't experiencing that with me. So the, the way that I can do that, if I've had a chance to connect with people ahead of time, is we do that pre-interview beforehand. So that's actually the, the second type of pre-interview. And I will either do that with the person I'm interviewing themselves. And sometimes if it's an artist that I can't get to, I'll ask a manager, I'll ask a wife, I'll ask whoever's working with these people. And I will say, what's something about this guy that he never gets asked? And what do I need to know? Or tell me a story. And they'll kind of give me, not really the dirt, they'll give me a different perspective and they'll give me some stuff that makes the, the person seem more interesting than they might've seemed without those little hints. So that would be the, the, the second type, uh, either, I guess that's the third type. Either there, there's a pre-interview a week before the show with either the guests themselves or the handlers, we'll call them. I asked the school of podcasting members in Facebook, I said, Hey, David Hooper's coming on the show. What should I ask him? So 
Felicia wants to know how did the book or how did you book interviews when you were just starting out? The issue that I faced when I was a very new host, brand new host, is that, as we've already talked about a little bit, I was intimidated because I was getting in there with a radio producer who was a pro. I was getting in there. My engineer at the time was the midday guy, was a super pro. And I'm stuttering and stammering. And blah, blah, blah. I don't know if I'm going to be able to get through an hour. So what I did, because I'd been in music marketing for, at that point, I'd had the business going for 10 years already. I called my buddies. You were one of them. You were one of the first guests that we had. And I called people that I knew were going to give me a break. And they would be good, but they weren't going to be super intimidating to me because we had already had a previous relationship. So that can be one of the things that you do. Just find people that are understanding of you as a new guest or a new host, rather, and get that ball rolling. Then you can feel more comfortable and work your way up to other people. But I still remember the the probably about the 13th or 14th guest, I'd run out of buddies to call or run out of people that we had booked and getting, getting like the real guest in there. I was like, oh, now it's, now it's serious. And then I got more comfortable as it went because again, like we were talking about when people are coming in and they're not doing this all the time, they're probably more intimidated than you are. It's kind of like running into an animal in the, in the jungle. Yeah. They're as scared of you as, as you are of them. To me, the hardest part of an, of an interview is the fact that you have to figure out what the next question is. And then yeah. also while they're answering, you're listening to the question while you're still kind of thinking about, do I do a follow-up question here or do I go to question number three on my sheet? So I always tell people there's a big dance going on in your head. How do you handle that dance in your head when you're doing an interview? I try to have what I call a hook. And what I will do is I don't, write out questions or have like an order that I have to get through. We've heard podcasters like that, right? As Casey Kasem says, you're coming out of a death dedication and then you're, <laughs> you're coming, you're coming out of the upbeat number. And then you're going into a death dedication. You've got to have something that, that matches. And I have made that those mistakes, by the way, if you want to talk about mistakes, this guy was talking about his, his dead mother or something like that. And I went into something completely <laughs> off the wall. Cause I was in my head and my producer stopped me. He's like, man, what, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> let's, let's, let's dive deeper into that. As far as like organizing, what I try to do is I try to have topics and I will have a guy. I'll give you an example. I, I did an interview with Rob Halford of Judas Priest. Yeah. And that was done via ISDN, meaning that he's much like what we're doing today. So we're doing via Skype. He's in London or wherever he is, and they're calling in through some kind of fancy schmancy phone line. And I've got 15 minutes with him maybe because on minute 16, they're going to cut me off and he's going to go to the next guy. It's automatic. And I said, all right, I've got just a little bit of time. What am I going to ask him? I've got to get the new stuff in and I want to talk about the old stuff, the Judas Priest stuff, because that is what the fans like, but he wants to talk about his Christmas album. He had done a Christmas oh album, if you can believe that. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we talked about that. Right. And I was like, this is not your mother's Christmas album. Right. He's like, oh no. So he was very cool with it. But what I tried to do is I tried to have a linear thread that was going to connect me and then kind of work off that and said, does this go back to that thread? And that thread was his longevity. He had been, I think at the time there was a 25th anniversary of one of their albums, maybe Defenders of the Faith or something. And I said, all right, let's, let's talk about your longevity because you're still going hard and you're still rocking as badassly as, uh, 
as you ever have been. So let's talk about that. And then we can get into the new the new stuff. And that, that's how it all fits in. So that, that's basically how I, I do. And, and if there's something interesting that somebody says, you kind of do this. I, I love it how, how you do it after the fact sometimes when you'll, you'll jump in on interviews that have already happened right. and make, make comments or, ju- or jump in on maybe recordings that people have called in about. That's the time for you to jump in too. Don't worry about the next question so much, but keep it written down knowing that you can get back to that. that that's what I realized is that there was really no rush We've got, in my, in my experience uh, with Music Business Radio, about, well, 54 minutes, 60 minutes, 54 plus six minutes of commercial. So we've got time. And if we go too long or if it gets messed up, we'll just fix it in the mix. It's not live radio. And neither is podcasting for the most part. And one of the things you talk about in the book, and again, the book is called Big Podcast. It's It's got an awesome big cover on it. Uh, you can find it over at bigpodcast.com and at amazon.com is you mentioned that like there's only one way to get better at podcasting and that's to hit record on the microphone or practice even getting the words out of your mouth. There is one thing though that I was like, mm, hmm, not sure about that one. You Okay, so now we're going to get real. Yeah, we're gonna this, get is, real. this is the part I've been waiting for. Perfect. <laughs> is you say, I think it's before you launch. Is it 20 episodes, 50? It's some insane number of episodes that you want people to record before they launch. I want to say it was 20. <laughs> it's 25. 25. All right. <laughs> I saw this coming, Dave, because I put this up on the blog before and I've given this advice for a while before the book and people are like, what? That'll take me half a year because I do one episode a week. I think that's when you start to get comfortable is about 25 episodes. And even if you are an experienced podcaster, when you're starting a new podcast, it takes a while to get comfortable with it. It takes a while to work the kinks out. It takes a while to know what segments are going to work what topics are going to work. Ah, How do you know if they're working, if they're not released though? Here's the thing. I've got a bunch of rules, if you want to call it that in, in the book. They're basically, as you would say, they are best practices for me. They are suggestions. And that's one, I think the great things about podcasting is that in one way there are no rules, but there are best practices and there are things that have worked and there are things that I suggest. So you can break them. And I don't think as you, you would say, nobody's going to punch you in the face. (laughs) But one of the reasons for 25 is is not only just to find your voice, it is because that when somebody finds your podcast for the first time, that what they are doing, and you can tell me if you you agree with this too. So I find a new podcast, Dave Jackson did it, and it's on a topic in general that I'm really interested in. And I'm going to go to iTunes or Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, and I'm going to look at the episodes that you have. And if you've got two or three there are going to be two or three that are going to get my attention, maybe. But if you've got 25 and it's something that I'm already interested in, I'm not going to download all of them. A lot of people confuse my 25 episode launch saying that, oh, you're just hoping to get 25 episodes and game the charts. No, that is not it. But what it is, is I'm looking at those 25 episodes and Dave Jackson's talking about interviewing. Ooh, I like that one. I'm going to get that one. He's talking about microphone shootouts. Oh, I want to get that because I'm thinking about getting a new microphone. You're talking about intros. You're talking about how to use music. You're talking about how to do Skype versus Squadcast. What I'm trying to do with that is get people to download as many episodes as I can, use them, listen to them, become excited about them, excited about the new podcast, become excited about me, get to know me and become part of their lives. Then at that point, you've got a chance of them becoming a long-term subscriber, more so than if you had one, two or three episodes. 
so there are a couple of things going on. One is you getting comfortable and the other is just giving people a lot of information to choose from that hopefully would get them to be excited about you. Got it. See, I, I see that point completely. Here's my biggest worry though, is you, okay. you started off, you have this great intro, you got a tease, all this stuff. I mean, you go over every part of an episode and there's great advice on how to start off your show and how to create a great tease and intro and how long it should be. And do you use a voiceover guy or not? And then you decide every show, I'm going to start off with a lightning round. We have this thing. It's like, geez, 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 lightning round, lightning, right, like, right, right, round. And everybody's like, dude, I hate the lightning round. And you're like, oh man, I got 24 other episodes with the lightning yeah. round. That's my biggest worry. <laughs> well, that could be an issue. I, I think there's something to be said about asking people for their opinion yeah. before you release uh, like a test launch. So technically I started podcasting in 2005, which was us working on the radio show. I'm in there working every week. I'm there. First episode, though, of the podcast and the radio show didn't launch till 2006. And that was us getting in there because, of course, in radio, you've got to have consultants. You've got to get your skill set <laughs> down. And you've got to kind of figure out what the, the imaging is going to be because we didn't know any of that. And this is the good and bad about podcasting is you and I can record something. We could put it up tonight. And it's quick. And I think that we get used to having no filters where I think filters can actually make for a better product. When you've got to work for it a little bit more, you appreciate it more and you're going to think about it. It's almost like people who send out spam emails, they would not send those spam emails if they had to print it on paper, put a stamp on it and mail it because it costs them more money and it takes more resources. Podcasting is becoming so easy now. And that's another reason that I put that in there. People have mixed feelings on Anchor. I happen to love Anchor. I've got a podcast called Build a Big Podcast, and that was a fluke, and I started it on Anchor because I wanted to get better as a host. I said, this is the easiest way for me to practice my, my, my broadcasting ability. But the thing is, is that because it's so easy, it's like for whatever reason, we feel like we need to pick it up. Oh, that, let's make an episode right now. Let's make an episode right now. And, and there's no, I guess, quality score or no filter well, and like... What, you had 300 episodes in a day. Yeah. Well, one of the things I really like, you sum up really the whole book. I don't say the whole book because the book really does cover everything. But you have a great line in here. that says, for you to be a great podcaster, you need to have four things. You need to be able to listen. Uh, there's listening. There's speaking. There's planning, which is what you were just talking about. When you just pick up the phone and hit record, there's no planning there. And then adjusting. And to me, when I heard that, I was just like, oh, that's so. Because to me, we already talked about listening during your interview. And then speaking is one of those things that just takes practice. I know you keep talking about how you flub your words a lot. I've heard, I've been in a room with you recording and what's interesting is what you think are flubs. I think are completely normal. Uh, you, you listen through the ears. Well, I guess we all do. We listen through the ears of a podcaster because I'll hear you say something like, Oh, hold on. I'm going to do that again. I'm like, do what again? I didn't hear you flub. So it's always interesting, <laughs> but I thought that was cool. It's listening, speaking, planning, and adjusting. Do you think most podcasters are up for the adjusting part? Oh man, that is such a great question because you see a lot of podcasters that they just want to be heard and they don't listen. Maybe it's not even the adjusting. They're not even listening. They just want to blah, 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 get their information out there. They don't care. Hell or high water by God. They're going to get that message out there. And you see that with people that you interview. You've had people that they will come on your show and they have an agenda and they do not listen to the question. They hijack it like a, like a politician. So uh, 
I think it can be worked on, but I think you have to know. And that's another reason for doing 25 episodes is like, you don't know what you don't know. I, I think if you and I were to go back to 2005 and listen to the first episodes that we did. Oh, <laughs> exactly. But you did, you didn't know it back then, right? You're like, this is great. Yeah. People all over the world are listening to this. Holy cow. And then you look back yeah, and you're right. like, oh, is there any way I can not have that go out to the world? Yeah. Because you do have a, a section of the book where you talk about how being in radio and how to do an air check for right. yourself. My buddy, Monica Rivera, I heard this from her podcast. You can't read the label from the inside of the bottle. Is there any way that we can step outside of ourselves and really give ourselves an air check? Yeah. You can, you can go through certain things like, am I talking over guests? Did I make the point that I thought I was going to make? You can review, am I speaking too fast? Am I speaking in a way that would make people talk afterwards? That's a big one for air checks. You want somebody, like if you think of the serial podcast, this is a perfect example. The thing I love about serial podcasts is they would do an episode and then everybody's like, hmm, did he or didn't he? And there's Reddit groups. And that's a thing that can blow your podcast up like crazy. So that's something that you can add. Are you bringing in those things to your podcast? But yeah, air checks are very, very scary. And I can tell you an air check story because I think it relates to what you just said about podcasters adjusting. And I think that sometimes podcasters are afraid of getting feedback and air check the way it would work in radio. And this was a big opportunity that I missed because this guy is dead now and he will never be able to air check me. But his name was David Hall. And this is a DJ that I grew up with in the seventies. He was on the big rock station back when radio really mattered, you know, playing arena rock. So I love that kind of stuff as a kid, you and I grew up around the same time and, and it's that kind of stuff. It's a station you would have loved. And when I got to WRLT for music business radio, I said, David Hall, wait a minute. That's David. He was, he was the director there. And I was a brand new DJ, a brand new podcaster. And my producer said, you know, David would like to sit down with you for an air check. But David was also super intimidating. I'd grown up with him. He'd had 30, 40 years in radio. He was a legend in Nashville. I just kind of sat on it and just waited it out. And, and David unfortunately passed away. And I'll, I'll never get to it. But I, I really think that that would have made me a better host, even if it would have been a hard experience. Because this guy, is, it's like, you know, he's going through every little thing. He's finding every little flub. And because of my internal critic, I didn't need that. I was, I was too sensitive to it. But I think that if you can have somebody that is not your mom and not somebody who's going to tell you that you're great, but somebody who actually has experience and you can do that. You mentioned Jeff Brown. Jeff Brown is great for air checks. You're great for it with podcast rodeo show. But I know that you've had experience with podcast rodeo show where you said some stuff and people aren't ready to hear it <laughs> even when they come to you. <laughs> I mean, I think you have to look at it like it's just an opinion, but at the same time, we we have to respect people that have experience maybe more than we do. And we I think we need to listen to it. But I know this from a person who's just come out with a book or being a person who's just come out with a book that we all hope that somebody's going to read our book and they're going to say, it's perfect. I wouldn't change a thing. We hope that about our music, our podcast, anything that we do. And that's just not the case. We have, have holes in everything that we do. Yeah. There's always room for improvement, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But unfortunately, like a book, don't tell me now. I, I, we should have told you before I published it. <laughs> Same thing with a podcast. At least a podcast, you can go and make the next one better, right? Yeah. 
but we get so caught up though in wanting to have perfection and we don't know. And and sometimes I do think that people are cruel, especially if you go on like a Facebook group, oh. you've got these know-it-alls or God knows YouTube comments yeah, you, are awful. YouTube is the, if you want to get your feelings hurt, <laughs> start a YouTube channel. Yes. Yes. And everybody's got an opinion. And I, and I think that it's easy to make comments. And I think we need to keep that in mind as creators we do a segment on music business radio. We call it Dave's Demo Derby. And we will have people from around the world sending demo tapes, what we call demo tapes, like just, you know, songs that they've done. And the cruelest people are the executives, the people who've never made music. And the most compassionate people and the people with the best advice are the songwriters, the producers, the musicians, the people who are in the studio. And they know what it takes because it takes guts and it takes uh, cojones, we'll call them, <laughs> balls yeah. for you to put your message out there. And, and I think that we, we have to keep that in mind that, that some feedback doesn't matter. And it could be on either side of that. It could be your parents. The feedback's not going to matter. They're too close. And it could be the guy on YouTube who's sitting in his mom's basement, just mad at the world. Speaking of getting your message out there, one of the questions we always hear is how long should my podcast be? And I think I could be wrong. This is what I was going to ask. This might be the second thing I disagree with you on the book. Cause I think I was waiting for that, Dave. I, I when you said it, I knew it was coming <laughs> is I think you say in the book, you're shooting for that half hour, 20 minute drive to work range. Is that, I couldn't really tell if that's what you were saying. You kind of mentioned it. And then it was like, was he saying that's what you should shoot for? So what, what are your thoughts on that? So I said 25 minutes is best. And in brackets for most podcasts, ah, there we go. And, and the reason I say that, and this is a timely question because just last week there was some research that came out that said, I think it's about a third of people, 67% stick around and about a third of people never go back to podcasts that they haven't completed to episodes. Mm. So you're like, well, 67 people stick around. It's like, yeah, you're a glass half full guy, but about a third of them have left and they are never coming back. So my thought on keeping it at 25 minutes, one, we're trained because we watch 22 minute television shows. But also because of commutes, average commute being about 25 minutes, the average workout, you go on the Stairmaster, a lot of people are doing like a 30-minute workout. So it's very nice to have something, as I say, the beginning, the middle, and an end to give them a sense of completion where they're not having to stop in the middle of something they might never get back to or have to worry about it and have their brain thinking about it all the time. I like to have a, a complete episode. If you get too long, we always talk about hardcore history in the podcasting space. Right. And a lot of people are intimidated by that four hour episodes. Oh, it's nuts. That's a, that's an audio yeah. book. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And they're like, well, when am I going to do that? Because people are busy. Yeah. So it, I don't think it's a hard and fast rule. I think you do you. And if you need to go on longer, if your message, we say it can't be too long, only too boring. So if your message needs to be four hours and you can't do it uh, one minute shorter than that, make it four hours. But if you can be brief about it. This gets back into the filters. I think that a lot of times, you know, we benefit. I talk about this in the book. My friend Rick Roberts, Write Tight. He's a comic. He's a podcast called School of Laughs. And the reason comics are funny is because they get to the point, he has, uh, he has something called, he, called laughs per minute. And laughs per minute, 6 LPM. So he wants something every, every 10 seconds. Wow. He wants you to be laughing. That's not easy to do. And the way that you do that is you edit. And the same thing with your podcast. You have to ask yourself, does this really need to be in this podcast? That's how I do it. Anytime I, I do an interview or if I listen back to it, I will, if it's an interview, I'll listen to the question. 
and I'll listen to the answer and I'll just look at that one little segment there and say, does that bring value to my audience? Would my, would my audience ask that question? And then if, if it does, yes, it stays. And if not, it's, it's on the cutting room floor. So yeah, just to take it behind the curtain, you and I are three hours into this interview. (laughs) The other podcast I want to talk about is your red podcast, which is a marketing show. This is not your grandpa's marketing podcast. It's, (laughs) it's a really cool show. Did you purposely set out to say, I'm going to be completely different than every other marketing show? I, I didn't, but here's the thing is I came from the entertainment industry and in that industry, it's full of characters right? you got guys getting in drugs and then stealing cars. Like that's the kind of people that we work with. And I thought I was a business guy because I was on the other side of that being the guy who was responsible and we got to get to that next show, buddy. And you know, I was, I was the guy who was, I guess like the teacher or the the babysitter, maybe that's a better word for it until I started working with real business people and they were super excited about spreadsheets and run rates and venture funding. And I said, Oh brother, this is boring as hell. (laughs) So I said, what can I do to bring in what I've got? Because what I wanted to do, even with something like build a big podcast and big podcasts, it's like, you know, Dave, you are the godfather when it comes to helping people with their podcasts. I'm not going to be able to replicate that. So what am I going to be able to do to do it in a different way? Because I wanted to focus more on podcasting. I believe in podcasting, as we talked about, as a way to connect with people. And it was the same way with the Red Podcast. I was really interested in the story, which I think is a great lesson for podcasters. It's the stories that make things interesting. It's the people behind the stories. That's why we get connected to things. And that's how we learn from something. If you look at the Bible, the Bible's full of stories. That's how it gets passed around. We tell these stories and that's how the lessons are learned. So I thought, well, what can I do to bring more of that? And sometimes it's, I guess it's sort of sensational, like a, you know, like an escort you would say, but I don't even look at it like that. I look at it as let's bring the humanity into this and let's show that people are people. And that's one of the things that I did with the IRS call. People are so frustrated with those IRS callers and they like to make fun of them. If you look at them on YouTube, they're trying to waste their time. And and I sort of did that on the first call. But then what I did is I called them back and that's when the conversation began and they didn't trust me at first, but I won them over. And I said, I'm going to show these, that these people are human. We're going to show the business lessons from it, but we're also going to show the humanity because while you listen to me, maybe for marketing, I also want to have a higher purpose of this podcast. And that's to bring people together because I feel like especially God knows in America, but you look at England right now and everything else, we're, we're so divided with politics and, and belief. But I think that when we can communicate, we can you know, rid the world of some of that stuff and bring in better stuff. All right. This next question I ask about if he's ever received any flack about anything. So he talks about something that actually got him some flack. And so I now say, if you have any little ones in the car, now would be a good time to hit pause. Well, and you seem... In real life and on your podcast, one of the things, if somebody said, how would you describe David Hooper? One of the adjectives has to be non-judgmental. Again, do you ever get flack for that from people going, I can't believe you interviewed her or I can't believe you talked about, I can't believe you did Ashley Madison jokes at your, at your event. So, I mean, some people are going to get it and some people are not. So the answer is yes, I get flack. There's actually a segment in the book called The Dick, The Doll, and The Dork, which is like a three-person radio show 
the the dick and the dork are the two guys and the doll is the female right. and somebody thought it was sexist. And I mean, I'd like to spend time and, and say like, no, no, it's not sexist and, and explain myself. You can't always do that. And it doesn't matter. Some people are going to read you the wrong way. I, I think you have to go into it with the best of intentions, but still do you. I, I don't want to, if I worried about it all the time, I would never say anything. Well, that's the the thing I like about it is what you have in the book is what you live. You are you. It's like, look, this is me. I think you like to push the envelope a little bit every now and then just to, just to oh, see sure. if people are awake. Uh, yeah. But that's you being you. And if you don't like it, well, there's only 660,000 other podcasts you can listen to that will have your return on investment and your marketing spreadsheets and have fun, you know, staying awake for those. <laughs> That's the- there, I mean, there's funny examples, everything from yeah. Christian swingers to black Republicans to born again people. I mean, not, and those aren't, that one's not necessarily funny, but that, that's the whole point. It's like, if you say you love Jesus, well, by God, man, say you love Jesus. Don't, don't hold back right. because you think you're going to make somebody uncomfortable. But at the same time, it works on the other scale. Other side of that scale is like, if you're gay, be gay. Don't try to soften it for people. Let's talk about Jeff Christie because you bring him up yeah, in the perfect. book. And because yeah. sometimes people are like, I don't know if anybody would listen to me. And you talk, we were talking about air checks earlier and you were saying how he was kind of getting bad air checks from people and saying, look, man, you're just not going to make it in the world. So, so tell us the story of Jeff Christie. So Jeff Christie was a top 40 radio DJ in the seventies. Like I've got air checks, actually air checks of him at bigpodcast.com If you want to hear him and you can hear him doing the, uh, the carefree cash quiz or something like that. And he's fumbling over the lines and he's playing David Cassidy and maybe like uh, canned heat. I think he's playing around that time. <laughs> he's not very good. And he got canned from a station and canned from another station and eventually left to go work in the baseball industry, but came back, changed his name, focused on a new format, which was really popping up in the late 70s and 80s, talk radio, and got good. And today, known as Rush Limbaugh, he is, I think he's probably the best talk radio host ever, ever. Because every day gets on the radio for three hours, no guests, the guy, he can't hear. You know that, right? I didn't know He's, that. Again, non-judgmental, but you know, he was hooked on Oxycontin right. all those years and that'll mess up with your hearing. So he got to the point where they were having to to put the callers that would call in because sometimes he does the callers right. on a, a teleprompter, still on the air, still super smooth. And, and you know, and he's, he's found his, his niche. He's super witty. I don't know how he did it. Cause I was on cold medicine. I went in the studio one time and my brain was a fog. So, <laughs> well, and, and you bring up, you know, to go back to that previous point of UBU, you mentioned in here how, uh, there is, there was another, I think, is it Hannity that you mentioned oh, yeah. how Rush Limbaugh, <laughs> he speaks with such confidence that he just says this, you know, ladies and gentlemen, we got to do, and he does his thing. And then you said, there's some company that's out there and they, they fact checked Rush Limbaugh, and he was only correct like 6% of the time, but you would never yeah. guess that. And then you compare him <laughs> to Sean Hannity and, and explain why Rush Limbaugh, and for the record, neither one of us are, are probably going to, we're just talking about their style. We're not, this is not saying we're fans. This is not an endorsement. Yeah, no, we're just, we're, no, we're, not, not at yeah, all. Yeah, we are just, we are, we are <laughs> talking about their style. Rush Limbaugh comes across as this super convent, 
stating the facts, blah, blah, blah. And then you talk about, tell us about Sean Hannity. Cause I've never actually listened to Sean Hannity. Well, Sean Hannity, one, if you listen to him, he tells his guests what to say. Nice. He's a well, I think what you mean is this. You're talking about this. Isn't that why you did it? And his guests will say, yes, that's exactly why I did it. Sean, you're exactly right, Sean. And if I were to go on Sean Hannity, and sometimes I do this just actually as a, a training for me, right. like a media training, I, I will turn on Sean Hannity and I'll say, how would I handle an interview like this? Mm. And I just make up stuff just on the fly, like as if Sean Hannity were interviewing me. And what makes that difficult is because Sean will not let his guests get a word in. <laughs> he will talk over people. He just blah, 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 blah. He might as well be like Limbaugh and just have three hours on his own. But he yells. It's not factual. It's not even funny. Like, I think Limbaugh is actually funny and he brings personality into it and he's kind of snarky. Right. Hannity's like a, a little bitty dog who's just like, yip, 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 yip. <laughs> and, and he is the, this was a vote. They took a, a, a survey among radio journalists and other broadcast journalists of the least trusted personality in media. And it was Sean Hannity for that exact reason. Limbaugh, on the other hand, yeah, you can fact check him all you want, but he, he does have trust. And, and unfortunately, Sean Hannity does too. But I feel like that's probably confirmation bias. Mm. It, you know, when somebody tells you what you want to hear, and, and that's maybe another thing to, to talk about or consider if, if you don't want to talk about it, is that people, they listen to folks that they know, like, and trust. You have heard that. But they also, they also listen to people that they agree with. Mm. And that's a lot of the reason that we listen to anybody. And, and I, th I think this is important because we just want to know that we're okay. Well, you mentioned you do a little media training there. What other media training do you, what other little exercises do you do when you're watching TV or things like that? Because that's interesting that you look at that and go, hey, what would I do if that was my guest? <laughs> I will uh, just tongue twisters and things. Mm. And like driving down the highway, somebody told me as an auctioneer one time, that when you pass like a phone pole, that's when you need to change numbers. Give me one, give me one. Who's going to give me one? Got two, got two. Who's going to give me three? Give me, you know what I mean? <laughs> just to get your mouth working. Just to get my mouth working, just to get me thinking, just to, just having fun with it when I'm in the car or something like that. It's not necessarily media training, but it's, it's mouth training. Cause you, it, it's, it's mouth training. And, and I've heard you talk about, we talk about the throw up voice. We're like, hey, it's Dave and Dave here right now, <laughs> Cleveland, Ohio. You know, what's going on, everybody? Hey, yeah, <laughs> traffic and weather on the tens. I think like having fun with that when you're a beginner podcaster is great. Then dialing it back because usually podcasters, it's too bad college radio doesn't exist anymore. But when you when you and I were growing uh -huh. up, when college radio existed, and you can maybe turn on your community radio station and hear this, but it's kind of like that. There's a, a SNL skit called The Delicious Dish <laughs> with sweaty balls. And, <laughs> You have a tendency to go the other way. People are so worried about being the morning DJ right. throw up voice that they go the other way and they're boring. So I, I think, you know, having fun with that, you can record yourself and you can listen back. And sometimes you're going to be surprised at what you hear. But, but it's also a lot of times you may think in your head, you're sounding like obnoxious DJ person. And actually you've just bumped it up to not boring where your regular voice <laughs> right. is, is, is that NPR. Okay. Now we're going to talk about the book. It's called big podcast by David, you know, but you, yeah. you've actually now bumped it up to, wow, they're, they're actually awake. Okay, great. So, but it, it's, it's finding that. And I think that the way that you do that, as we talked about, is that you got to get in there and podcast, you've got to get in there and make mistakes. And you're going to have that old tape out there, Dave, let's go back to 2005. <laughs> 
you know, and you're like, Ooh, the change is so slow. You don't see it happening. You don't see yourself becoming a better host. And the way that I knew it, because I remember doing promos at the very beginning of 2005 and it took forever for me to do a promo. And the promo would be something like, my guest this week is Keith Thomas. He's produced Whitney Houston, Mariah Carey, and such and such. And we're going to talk about, it'd be something like really simple like that. And I had to recut a promo for the same show because we had this thing called The Vault. We were going to do some reruns. And I remember thinking back to the first time I cut it, I go back in there 10, 10 years later and it's like, bam, bam, bam. I cut like five or 10 of them in the time that it would have taken me to do half of one. And I was like, ooh, okay. But it was really enlightening to me because it's like, man, this is a really slow process and I didn't see myself getting better because I don't feel like I'm necessarily better, but I am. And the only way to do that is to keep that old tape. That's why I keep all my old podcasts up because I want people to go back and see that I didn't start out as good as I am now. And not that I think that I'm great, but people think that I am. People think, oh man, you're so smooth on the mic. Well, it's editing. Like we talked about. Well, I had somebody ask me once, why do you put your bloopers at the end of your show? Because I do that on occasion. <laughs> yeah. And I said, because yeah. the first time I did that, I had three people email me and they're like, I'm so glad you put that there because all this time I thought I was horrible because I'm stuttering and stammering. And I'm like, they thought I was perfect. And I'm like, oh, no, no, far from it. So I always put my bloopers in now. Plus, I think they're they're somewhat entertaining and well, they are. Well, you can laugh at yourself. It, it shows your humanity. The exact reason that I like to interview people and, and to get into some of that stuff, it shows that you're not a robot. We don't want to listen to these fake DJs on the radio. That's why we listen to podcasting. We want to listen to real people. Real people make mistakes. They've got problems. I mean, this shouldn't be therapy. We've talked about that before, Dave. I have a joke in the book. It's like, if, if your listener's not getting a copay, he's not accepting your insurance, <laughs> don't make it therapy for right. him. Right. But with that said, you know, you can let people know about yourself and people appreciate it. You've got a podcast, one of my favorites that you do called Better Dave. It's cool because it doesn't necessarily belong here. But if somebody wants to find out more information about you, they can they can do it. And it's done in a very humorous way. It's done in an entertaining way. So it still has those best practices. But it, you know, it, it just brings people more into like this if they want it. Yeah. What was the easiest part of the book to write? And what was the hardest part of the book to write? I talked earlier about having that linear thread. And I knew when I met Lee Silverstein that that was going to be in there and part of that linear thread. And the same thing, I've got a story at the very beginning about a businessman in New York about how he hijacked the media. So I've got those two stories and I knew that I was going to start there and show people what could be. And then I wanted to end there too. Like in comedy, you would call it a, a callback. So there's some organization there. And, and that was really fun to kind of have that, you know, that big picture and then I could just fill in the blanks. Mm-hmm. I can't think of any other part that was necessarily easy. I mean, I, I had to sweat through this. I'm not a natural writer. I finished the first draft thinking I was done. That was about three years ago. <laughs> uh, well, this stuff is not just podcasting exclusive. I actually thought about that and I'm not sure if if that made it to the book or not, but you'll appreciate this as a guitar player that I had some kind of contraption as a kid that was supposed to make my hand stronger. And I was telling my guitar teacher about it. I was like, yeah, I got this thing. It's supposed to make me awesome. And he's like, if you want to be better guitar, you just need to play guitar. (laughs) And I've thought about that a lot with different things in my life. And certainly with podcasting, it's like, we can read about compression and we can read about whatever mixers, right. what kind of mixer should I get? What kind of mic should I get? But right now I'm talking into a 60, $70 mic. Yeah. Should we record it and, 48 kilohertz or 44 one? 
<laughs> oh my God. The, some of the arguments people yeah. get into, I'm like, really? Not not really going to make a huge amount of difference. So, yeah, yeah, just just do the thing, man. Just do it, and and I don't I don't think you just need to throw it out there without any kind of thought. I do like filters, but you know, and that's what I hope to do is is give people food for thought. Because coming from a marketing and a radio background, podcasters can kind of get incestuous. Like I think there are a lot of people that started broadcasting or started marketing because of their podcast. And I think looking at other industries, and that, that's why I do that on the Red Podcast when I'm talking about that. It's like, I want to look at outside of my industry and find out how they're doing it. And that's how we can do it in our industry, maybe a little bit better than we are. Yeah. It's like you said, otherwise we're just, it's nasal, nasal, not nasal. That'd be kind of weird. Naval, naval gaze. Yes. That's what I was looking for. Naval gazing. When we're all <laughs> staring at each other, nothing new happens because we're just you know, it's a, yet another version of the Beatles that isn't as good as the Beatles. So, well, that's the perfect analogy because I think that, you know, when the Beatles came out, everybody is going to like name their uh, band after animals mm-hmm. and they're going to try to sound like the Beatles. And, you know, we see that a lot with pop music. But if you want to look at what lasts, the Beatles have lasted. Not mm-hmm. all those people who try to that's copy the point. Beatles. And the reason the Beatles worked, it was because, for one, I don't know if you know about the Highwaymen, they were touring Germany. Europe years before they got a deal and they worked it. They put in the work and they came over and and they had their thing. And it was, it was through partnership and it was through blood, sweat and tears. And you know, you, you struggle as a musician to get that art out, but that's what makes it great. And they were also turned down by a huge amount of, of record labels that went, nah, that's a fad, whatever you're doing. Well, I'll tell you something funny about that. They were signed to EMI in, in England and the EMI in the United States turned them down, even though they already signed EMI in England. So that's how, that's how many times they were turned down. And we certainly experienced that as, as podcasters. Maybe we could experience that a little bit more because we, we don't, we don't have anything to be turned out. Like we can't get canceled. So because we can't get canceled, sometimes we don't know that our stuff should be canceled. Mm. So some, something to chew on. Yeah. Did, did you have any kind of imposter syndrome in, in all your different travels? Yeah. yeah, let me tell you a personal story about that because so I've been podcasting, as I talked about earlier, started in 2005, but the thing didn't hit till 2006 because we put a, a year in. And I was coming into the podcasting space with this book, if you will, with 20-something years of self-employment and marketing experience for the music industry. And if you want to know why the book is so big. That's one of them because I knew that I was going to have to make an impact because somebody told me that you could make this book two books if you wanted to. I'm like, well, yeah, but it, again, it's kind of that imposter syndrome. I knew I was going to have to make a big splash if people were going to pay attention to me. And the truth is I probably could have done it with a shorter book or could have done it with two books, but it was just my own thing. Like that I was having to go back to and go, no, this isn't good enough. This isn't good enough. I, I didn't really think I had an issue with perfectionism, but my wife told me that like when this book was released. <laughs> so nice. I think that we all probably suffer from that. Don't let that keep you from running your mouth because as a person who's been running his mouth and always, always got in trouble with it. And the, the, the benefit of that for me was that what I found was I was always able to get out of trouble with it as well. <laughs> there you go. So, well, <laughs> everything we mentioned today, uh, you can find the book, 
You can find his resources. He's got 24 or 24, 25 podcast episodes. This is a really great handout. I actually printed that out and we do the Northeast Ohio podcasters meetup. And we actually use that for one of our meetings. Uh, every, yeah, the templates. Yeah, they're templates and they're really good. So, Cause if you're like, mm, I'm not really sure, you know, how I should do this episode or what I should do. It's a really great brainstorming uh, tool. It's 25 podcast episodes. They're templates. And along with the book and everything else he mentioned, just go out to bigpodcast.com. Mr. Hooper, thank you so much for the great conversation, my friend. It was great. I mean, I'm so excited about being on School of Podcasting because this is who needs to get this book. So it was a real honor. Thank you. There he is, David Hooper, bigpodcast.com. And next week, you're going to get the behind the scenes of how I edited this show because there are a couple things. There is a thing we talk about called the curse of knowledge. And this is where you and your guest know each other. And it's really easy to drop in stuff and you forget that your audience doesn't know what the heck you're talking about. And also, how do you decide what comes and what goes and what's good and things like that? People have asked me before about this. And I spent about three hours editing this podcast mainly because we talked for an hour and a half. And it's not that there was a bunch of bad stuff in it. You will hear it next week. You heard some of it today, some of the stuff that I cut out. But I'm going to kind of give you my perception of how I edit and realize this is one of those like giant D here. And that is, it depends. It depends, depends, depends. Because some people don't edit at all. And I always like to point at Mount Rushmore Mount Rushmore was a rock. At one point in time, Mount Rushmore was a big, giant rock. They applied some editing, and now you have this cool landmark. So that is what's coming next week. I will be at the NAB show next week, which is why as soon as I hit stop on this thing, I'm going to start working on that episode. And because I've learned a lot about editing, because... We, I, let's take that back. I did some things in this interview that weren't great. And I want to share those with you so you can avoid the mistakes that I make, as well as some things on, you know, you can say stuff in a much more succinct way. How do I say more with less? I think that's going to be next week's episode title. If you want to start a podcast, I would love to help you. Schoolofpodcasting.com slash start. Use the coupon code LISTENER, that's L-I-S-T-E-N-E-R, schoolofpodcasting.com slash start. Can't wait to work with you. See you again next week. Until then, class is dismissed. <laughs>